Hello, everybody. Welcome to Health Chatter. Our episode today is on homelessness. We'll get into all the details on that in just a minute. But uh, for our listening audience, I would be remiss, given the fact that this is Health Chatter, to not uh, to make sure that everybody is diligent about COVID going forward here. Okay, so here's the deal. There is a new variant that's hitting the scene. It's um, all the different types of names for these things are kind of crazy. It's called XBB 1.5, okay? Not to worry what the name is. What we should be concerned about is this. We as, as in the public, yes, we're tired. We're tired of, of COVID. And to a certain extent, we can get very um, lax with our precautions. However, I can tell you um, that COVID is not tired, all right? And um, the, the variants can, can still present themselves and there is one that is. So what does that mean going forward, especially with uh, the winter months here? Um, be a little bit more diligent, bring it up a notch, okay? If you are not vaccinated, get vaccinated. If you know somebody that isn't, talk to them about it and try to get them vaccinated. You might want to consider wearing masks in very, very public-oriented places, okay? Um, not a big deal. You've done it before. Just pick it up a notch. And perhaps the most, one of the most important things is wash your hands wash your hands, wash your hands. It really, really helps. Okay. So there's my, my statement on COVID for our, for our audience for today. Um, as you know, we have a great background crew for um, Health Chatter. Aaron Collins, Mandy Levine, and Wolf do all our background research. Thank you to them. They do wonderful work and, uh, and help Clarence and I tremendously with, with points to, to bring up in the shows. Then, of course, we have Matthew Campbell, who's our production manager, who takes care of all the logistics of the show, making sure it gets out and edited and puts in a little bit of music, which is always, always nice. Today, we're going to be talking about a, another tough subject, which is homelessness. Uh, we've got a great guest. I'm going to let Maddie introduce her. So take it away, Maddie. Thanks, Dan. Um, yeah, I'm really excited to introduce Courtney Canole. Um, she has been working in the housing homelessness um, field for about the past 15 years. So I'm really looking forward to hearing um, everything she has to say. Um, she's um, worked in various capacities within housing and homelessness, case managing, policy, um, and she's now the program director of supportive housing at Avivo here in the Twin Cities uh, for the past about three and a half years. Um, Avivo's mission is to increase the well-being um, through recovery and career adva advancement while working to end homelessness. Um, and Avivo does that by providing a full spectrum of chemical and mental health services, career education, and employment services. Um, Courtney also received her MSW from the University of Minnesota Twin Cities. Um, and I'm just, yeah, I'm really excited to, to have her on the show. So Courtney, thank you so much for joining us. It's a pleasure to have you. Thank you. I'm really excited to be here. 
So let's get this show going on on homelessness. So um, perhaps we should really start with you know some some reasons why people are quote homeless, and we'll get into kind of the the uh, terminology here because I know that that has changed over over the years. So let's uh, let's talk about reasons why people are homeless, and then maybe off the top of your head, if you know some of these things, Courtney, some of the um, statistics, maybe from from a state perspective, the state of Minnesota, but then how how we connect um, with our statistics nationally. So take it away. Okay. So um, we're actually pretty lucky in Minnesota. We have um, Wilder Research does a triannual study and they've been doing that for a long time. I should have looked it up, but I don't know how long um, for many, many years. And so every three years we do a pretty um, cohesive study of uh, folks who are experiencing homelessness. They get paid. We ask them a lot of questions. It's actually, it's like a 30 to 45 minute interview. And we do that statewide um, and on reservations. So um, it gives us a really pretty uh, good overview. And so um, I think a lot of people, when we talk about homelessness, have a lot of um, language around what is the cause, quote unquote, cause. And I'm a huge nerd. Um, and I think like statistically, Speaking, you really can't say like X, Y, Z thing causes homelessness. Um, but when you when you talk to folks who have experiencing who have experienced homelessness, um, and like in the Wilder study, they ask folks like, "What is the number one reason that you believe that you're homeless?" And um, unequivocally, every single time they do this study, folks say lack of affordable housing. And I think a lot of time, a lot of times when people think about homelessness. And even when people talk about it, and even sometimes people who work in this field will say things like mental illness causes homelessness or substance use causes homelessness. Um, but there are millions of people who have mental illness and never become homeless. Mm -hmm. There are millions of people who have substance use disorders and never become homeless. Um, so to like say something that simple, I think is uh, pretty common and, and to me is really problematic um, when what we know is that disproportionately it's that rent is, you know, like they say, the rent is too damn high. Uh, that's true for all of us, but that is especially true if you are very, very low income. Yeah. Um, so um, one thing I would say as we, as we look at Minnesota, um, it's disproportionately black and indigenous folks that experience homelessness in Minnesota. Um, you know, we have some of the worst disparities um, in a lot of things um, and homelessness is no exception. Um, uh, so I think it is also uh, disproportionately uh, young and increasingly old. Um, so I think uh, we're seeing, if you look at the Wilder study, I think it says like 52% of people who are experiencing homelessness in Minnesota are uh, 24 or younger. Um, and I think that that is like a huge misconception about homelessness, because I think people do mostly think single adults. And I actually personally work with single adults, um, but disproportionately it is young people. Um, so I think that that also has to challenge our narrative about what causes homelessness. Um, and so most let, me, let me ask you, 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 you mentioned here, um, it's not linked necessarily to um, mental illness or some of these other things. On the other hand, um, 
people who are dubbed homeless, do we see um, those people having more chronic conditions, health conditions that need attention? Absolutely. So I, my point was more like, there's not a causality. I don't think you can say this causes this. It is a bit of a chicken and an egg situation, right? Like um, not having your needs met um, can be very depressing, right? And like um, not being able to get consistent sleep, not knowing where your next meal comes from, that's going to affect your mental health. That's going to affect your mental well-being. Um, and, you know, vice versa, if you have mental illness and you're struggling to meet your own basic needs or you're struggling to do, you know, um, some of those kind of uh, basic level tasks that might also um, so it's kind of like it could happen either way. So it's absolutely there's correlation. Um, mm-hmm. There are definitely disproportionately, you know, folks who have experienced mental illness, folks who are experiencing substance use. And I think that that is, um, you know, a, a lot about shame and stigma. It's a lot about policy. It's a lot about health, like you're talking about. Um, so, yes, disproportionately, those things correlate. I just think we can't necessarily say it's, it's causality. It's Got like, it. So, more. you know, you know, on the front end of the show here, I, um, I mentioned COVID. Okay. Yeah. So just as a connection point here, yeah. are we seeing people who are homeless with higher incidence of COVID number one? And then number two, are we seeing people who are homeless um, not being vaccinated properly or don't we have that that information quite yet i don't know that i'm the best person to speak to those specific things okay. i do know that we have had several outbreaks in some of the shelters okay um and so during the pandemic the county well because of federal dollars that came in the county was able to put up a lot of vulnerable people into hotels um which is kind of one of the first times we've done that in a mass scale Um, So anybody who was, you know, high risk for COVID, so seniors, folks who have vulnerable health, who had really chronic health conditions, were put into their own hotel rooms across the county. Um, And so that was one of the ways that they addressed COVID risks. But uh, honestly, it was after several um, COVID outbreaks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, And uh, a lot of the shelters and or housing programs um, partnered with different clinics. So, um, Avivo partnered with NAP, the uh, Native American Community Clinic, um, and made sure that uh, vaccines were offered to both our staff and our clients um, to be able to get, to make sure. And there was also a homeless priority in Hennepin County for a while um, to make sure that if you were on any sort of, um, if you were in shelter, if you were on a waiting list, that you had a priority to get okay. vaccinated. And Got so they really did push that at shelters um, and among street outreach. So there was, there was a concentrated effort. Yeah. So that's good. Know. So at least there's a connection there of yes, these people are in need because of their homelessness aspects, but yeah. there's also this other thing going on here, COVID. So we, at least there's yeah. a little bit of a connection. So let, all right. So, you know, for, for Minnesota, you know, some of the statistics for our listening audience are this, and that, I don't know, to me, this seems kind of, 
sad and maybe not great here. Um, in 2018, which is you know a couple of years ago already, there were 19,600 people considered homeless. It increased about 10% every year from 2015 to 2018. Increases greatest in the metro area. There's a 93% increase. And then in greater Minnesota, where there was only 36%. So now, okay. So hearing just those kind of figures, do we see it being pretty analogous in other metropolitan areas around the country that we see these, or is Minnesota kind of off on their own here? No, it's it's across the country. Um, a lot of the the things that we have happening are large systemic, you know, things that are happening across the country, right? Especially since COVID, um, I think uh, we've seen a lot a lot of increase in. Um, homelessness. I think there's, um, it, we're seeing increased evictions now. Um, and so there's less places for folks to go. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, shelter demands are at, at, a, at a high right now. So I think um, those, those mirror trends across the nation. Yeah. Okay. So Clarence, you know, I'm going to kind of segue into this here. So, so um, Courtney, indicated that, you know, we're seeing higher incidents in um, African-American and American Indian populations, at least in the state of Minnesota, that might be similar in other, other states as well. So how does, how does that sit with you, Clarence? Well, you know, I, I thank you for saying that because that's one of the things I wrote down. Yeah, um, the, 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 that, you know, you know, black, young, BIPOC, 24 and younger. And I think the thing for me, Courtney, more than anything is as a as a community health advocate strategist, I'm wondering how do we as a community uh, look at this? How do we as a community support this? I mean, you talk about public policies. What is it that we as a community should be doing? Because you're in that you're in that place where you do need community support. And so. Uh, I wasn't aware of this. Okay, so so you know, I know if I'm not aware of this, there, there probably are many other people that are not aware of this. And so, what is it that we as a community could be doing? Not just the, you know, you know, I just happen to be African American, but I mean, but what could we as a community really be doing in order to address some of these issues? Yeah, um, I mean, it's big, right? <laughs> um, so I would say. Um, Right now, one of the things that we've been trying in Hennepin County or collectively Hennepin County has been trying um, is trying to have more culturally specific um, resources. So when we talk about like um, specifically um, indigenous folks or American Indian folks are less likely to access traditional shelters. Um, and so they, so Hennepin County like created a culturally specific shelter um, that was supposed to be um, short term just to try it because it was with like influx COVID funds um, so that they could have, you know, um, and see if that would help or increase. And I think that that has worked to some degree. Um, you know, we at Avivo, we partner with Red Lake Nation um, and some other some of the other tribes, but most formally Red Lake Nation um, to try to um, build partnerships so that we have more culturally specific resources specifically for American Indian communities and that we can be more um, 
uh, culturally competent, but also help them access resources like uh, tribal resources that um, maybe they weren't accessing before that might be available. Um, I think a lot of it, so I mean, uh, awareness is a huge piece, right? Like I think we need to talk about um, some of those things. I think a lot of the disparities in homelessness reflect disparities that exist in Minnesota elsewhere, right? Like education and incarceration and um, some of those other kind of big system issues that we have, um, who is disproportionately in poverty. There's actually some national research about homelessness. Um, and it really is, there's like, um, they looked at kind of what are some of the protective factors and actually this is maybe controversial, but like whiteness is a perfect, is a protective factor against homelessness. Um, folks that are really, really low income, um, if you are white and really, really low income, there isn't necessarily like a direct line to homelessness. Um, but when you are a person of color, when you're black, when you're indigenous, um, you're more likely to experience homelessness. And so I think it's, I mean, like mm. when we look at kind of history, again, I'm a huge nerd. Um, there is sort of, um, when we, we can look at housing policy, right, in general, not just homelessness, but housing policy in general, both for um, Black communities and Indigenous communities, and we can see ways that we have denied access to wealth and to resource. And I think that those things continue to play out um, and, and therefore leave folks even more vulnerable. Um, and so I think it, it's kind of a uh, a little bit of a reckoning that we need to have. We need to have conversations about how some of the policies that we've had in the past and or things that still exist today um, uh, will impact, like impact the communities. Um, so I think a me, lot, of, oh, sorry. Let me, let me ask you, you know, it's yeah. um, <laughs> around this, this concept of awareness. Yeah. To be honest with you, I think a lot of people today like let's just talk in the Twin City area here, are aware of sure. the problem because they see it, okay? They see people living in tents or, or out of tents. They see these encampments. But to be honest with you, when I was, you know, years ago, I don't know how many years ago it was, maybe 30 years ago or so, I never saw that. I never saw tents Okay, so the awareness factor is become, I think, more visual. Yeah. Okay, back 30 years ago, perhaps it still existed, but it didn't exist in, quote, tents. Okay, right. like we're seeing. So can you maybe yeah. talk about this a little bit? What's yeah. going on here? Totally. I um, really think uh, ho like modern homelessness, the way that it is now is, is actually, well, it is a very modern phenomenon. Um, you know, historically, we've always had people that have had housing crises. We've always had people who have had housing instability. Um, and uh, we have never had until really, you know, uh, 80s, 90s, mass homelessness and people existing in states of homelessness. So I do permanent supportive housing. Um, so what we're working with single adults who have experienced what they call chronic homelessness, which is just a HUD moniker to make it kind of, to try to target dollars to like very vulnerable people. Um, and we can have a whole different conversation about if that's good or bad. Um, 
But um, in order to meet the criteria to be in my program, you have to be homeless for at least 12 months. And it has to be able to be documented that you've been outside or in a shelter for 12 months. Hmm. Um, but most Seems of like the, a long time, but anyway, yeah. Most of the folks that were moving in have been homeless way longer than 12 months. Um, we housed a guy who's been living on the, in the, like the last month, who's been living on the light rail for six years. Another guy who's been in shelter for over 20. So, I mean, um, there are folks that have been existing in a state of being unhoused for a long, long time. And that is, is a very modern thing. Um, I think we, you know, we can't, uh, uh, like separates again, some of these things like deinstitutionalization or kind of the investment we used to as a society invest in a lot of like low income housing or quote unquote, like projects. Um, and that is something as a society we've moved away from the government now, instead of being a provider of housing mm-hmm. now provides tax credits. So they're trying to incentivize private landlords to build um, and you know, and even in those contracts, it's only like 15 or 20 years that they have to remain affordable uh, until they can move their stuff into the private market uh, and charge rent the the same as any other landlord. So um, I just think that there's a lot of, um, yeah, I think because housing isn't considered a human right, um, um, we really, and it is like this private market commodity um, that really drives a lot. Um, and I think Stan, to your point about like when you were younger or when in their past, you, you didn't see homelessness in the same way. And I think a lot of, um, what our ideas about homelessness used to be right. That folks were choosing it, that they were, you know, wanting to be outside. They wanted to live a nomadic lifestyle. They were sort of rejecting kind of this um, uh, like kind of American work ethic, um, a lot of those ideas still really permeate society today, right? We're still very much a bootstrappy, unforgiving, kind of punishment-focused society. Yeah. Um, and I think that that really, that narrative and that we don't actually sit and kind of um, think about it um, or, or really... Um, that's the word that I'm thinking of. Like, we don't really like break it down in our minds about like why people might be homeless. I think if you're not immersed in it, like some of us uh, in this field are, you might not really sit and think about it that often. And so I think um, it's easy to, to think that folks are choosing it or think that it's character flaws or it's yeah. substance use um, when it is really quite complex. I want to thank you for entering that 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 particular lane and stand for bringing that up because you know when I was younger too and I was younger at one time uh, <laughs> we used to talk about the fact that you know there were hobos you know we we use that you know use that term and so uh, the, one of the one of the the challenges for I think for many people uh, are the myths the stereotypes and the, and the question that people are saying that well a lot of these people are choosing to be homeless. You know, and I think that, you know, having you come on on and talking about, you know, what's really going on will help inform people to be more sympathetic, empathetic, you know, and to be more uh, aware of really what's going on. But yeah. I do want to I did I did want to ask that question now. Yeah. 
you know, there are some people that are choosing to be homeless. And there's some other people that are choosing that, that haven't made the choice. I want to make this up one other thing, which I thought was very important. I've never been homeless. But one time in my life, uh, I had to be out of my house for over a month uh, because they were they were uh, uh, redoing some things in my house. I felt homeless. And mm. I I never and I really like I said, I've never been homeless. But I just I I, I felt, felt a certain it. kind of I felt a certain kind of way about that. And so I, it really helped me personally to become more sensitive to people that are homeless because I have I felt some of that anxiety, some of that pain, some of that loss. And yeah. so I think that people, if they've Security. ever been homeless, yeah, they, if you've ever been homeless, I mean, there should be a certain amount of uh, of uh, awareness that one should should have to this. So that's that's my story. I've never been homeless, yeah. but I so, think oh, you know, I've I've got a question too. How you know it's just like you know we try to link this to 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 health, okay? Because right. it's health chatter, okay? Right. Um, so you know what what what's hard for me is are these what what I describe as kind of these big issues, um, poverty. You know, I've said before on previous shows that in the history of mankind, there will always be some level of poverty. Okay. That doesn't mean we're okay with it. Okay. But there, but we'll have it. Is that true with homelessness? That I don't we will, believe so. I you, believe you don't believe so. So you're, you're, you're hopeful yeah. that we get rid of this. Yeah. You know? I'm a part of an ending homelessness division. So um, it's Great. aspirational, but like that's, yeah, we 100%. I think, um, Stan, kind of what you remember, a world where there weren't people living in tents, yeah. where there weren't people living outside is something that like, again, uh, all right, I'm, I was born in 85, mm-hmm. um, so I'm 37. Um, and that's when a lot of the shelters in the Twin Cities opened. That's when a lot of the modern kind of services that exist started. Um, and because it was like so new that we needed something like that. And that's also why the, a lot of them are in church basements. Simpson, yeah. Stevens, um, our saviors, right? Like, and now there's like a law in Minneapolis about them needing to be in church basements, but like they started in church basements for a reason because it was like this new kind of thing that they needed. And so church people just were like, okay, we're going to do this. Right. Um, and that's community based. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, and so at the, at the time, right. Like that, that seemed like the solution was just like, you know, and that's kind of the history of social work, right? Like that's just some do-gooders do some do good things. And, um, we're going to try to fix it until the problems become too large. But um, you guys have said so many things and I have like so many things and I'm like, ah, Clarence, (laughs) the part that you hit on that I think is so pertinent to housing and homelessness is sort of the shame and the stigma that go with being unhoused, right? What it says about you, if you don't have housing, what it says about your character, what it says about who you are as a person um, is unfortunately just a really huge part of it, right? And there is a lot of that. And that does stand to your point, affect your mental health, right? If you are in this place of feeling unworthy or um, like you're not doing enough and that's why you are unhoused, um, that is really a hard place to be. And shame and stigma are two are of tough. the biggest yeah. things that we deal with. Yeah. Um, Aaron, you have a, you have a question, Aaron. 
I do have a question, but I don't want to pivot away from this really great discussion we're having right now on stigma because I think we do need to spend a good chunk of this episode talking about that. So maybe um, do you have any final thoughts, Courtney, on on stigma before I kind of pivot away from that? Um, I mean, I could talk. I mean, I do entire trainings on shame and stigma. Um, Avivo, our, one of our primary modalities is harm reduction, um, which is really working on preserving life over conformity to a specific set of values um, and really trying to say, how do we, how do we make sure that you stay alive um, first and foremost? Um, and that's mostly regarding substance use, but that's also in, in terms of housing. And so I could do, I could do entire things on, on the shame and stigma. Um, and we're going to get to a vivo at the end because that's, yeah, you know, yeah, totally. we have, we have a mission on our show. It's like, what can we do? Yeah, so, totally. so Aaron, go ahead. So you're talking about um, being a part of the ending homelessness coalition. Um, and I, I'm sure you have plenty of thoughts on that, but as a graduate student, you are allotted a certain amount of money to the university of what they believe to be the right amount of money you should be spending on rent. And at the U, that is a just short of $1,100. But the average rent for a studio or one bedroom in Minneapolis is not $1,100. Um, and so there's like affordable housing units and, and apartment complexes out there that do end up falling below that but there's never openings I mean you, you have to end up on a wait list for years do you see those types of buildings becoming more popular or is there a way where we can have more of that because I know me and a great handful of other graduate students would have loved to take advantage of that but there's just no way we would have been able to in the short time period that we're here and then following up on that what other sorts of strategies do you think Minneapolis and I guess Minnesota in general needs to adapt in order to get to some place where we can say that we're ending homelessness. Dang, Aaron. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Great Um, question. (laughs) Um, So rent in and of itself is a huge thing. It's a huge thing. Um, You know, Aaron, uh, I don't get a stipend from the, (laughs) from the university, but you know, uh, a long time ago, they decided that um, what is affordable, and I don't know who they are, the powers that be, decided what is affordable is 30% of your income towards rent and utilities. Um, and that is not something that most of us, myself included, are doing, right? Most of us are paying significantly more of our income towards housing. Um, and, you know, whoever the economists or whoever decided, um, you know, the best way to spend our money decided that like 30% of our income should go towards that. Um, but the market, uh, has far increased over wages and, um, and affordability. So, uh, that is a huge issue across the board and it 100% obviously affects the lowest income renters, right? We also just have a housing stock issue, um, especially especially kind of over di- over there by the U, where they're building a lot of luxury uh, and a lot of like fancy high end apartments, and where it's really quite difficult to build low income housing. Um, 
both because it's really, really expensive, but also it's just um, a whole web of, of uh, different funders and trying to be beholden to a lot of people. One of my, I have seven programs at Avivo that I am overseeing and one of them is site-based. Um, so most of them, we house people in the community with scattered site landlords. We're working with private landlords. Um, but this one building, uh, we partner with Beacon Interfaith um, and they own the building and Avivo does the services. And then Premier Property Management is the landlord. Um, and we, the building's been around for like 15 years as a housing program, but uh, we just added 40 new units. Uh, and so that was a, a kind of a conglomeration of like state funds, county funds, city funds, um, homeless dollars, uh, mental health dollars. And so it, like they, you're taking money from all of these places to build this building. Um, but then filling the building is really quite difficult because you have to have, you know, five people have to meet this criteria, but it can't overlap with this criteria. And so it becomes a very complicated, I learned a lot in the last you know, five months as we, we added 40 new people to this building from October to December. Um, and it was, it's just a lot of that. So it's really complicated to build uh, low income housing. So, one so thing let, me, let me ask this question. So it's like, you know, um, you know, we're kind of talking about this subject at, at the health chatter level here. Okay. I can't, you know, as you, as you're talking, I can't help but think, okay, what if we actually had somebody sitting right next to Stan and Clarence here and the rest of us who is presently homeless, who's living in a tent? And I would ask that person, and I'm sure you've talked to these kinds of these people, Courtney, um, what is it that you need? What would that? What would a person who tr who's sitting right next to us tell us right now? I'm I'm kind of guessing, and maybe you can react to this. It's like um, activity. You know, we call it ADL activities of daily living. It's just like I am living. You know, this person would say, I think I am living kind of on a day to day basis here, right? Okay, so what is it? What is it that we can do to alleviate that or to help that person or people with that angst? Who knows, um, right? No, um, I really believe, you know, so I'm, I'm uh, housing first is my, like, is again, what Avivo does. Um, I think it's really hard in the private market to like even envision true housing first. Uh, they do it really well in Scandinavian countries, um, but like literally meeting your basic needs first. Um, and folks need, so I, I um, you know, I, I think it's kind of psychology 101, uh, but I, I often talk about Maslow, right? Like the pyramid of the hierarchy of needs um, and kind of the, the bottom of the pyramid is, is your very basic needs. The things exactly. you need to function as a human and we exactly. can't expect you to do higher level tasks if you are like, you can't get to self-actualization, but even you can't even get to, um, you know, complex emotions if you are functioning, just getting your basic needs met. And that is Correct. where you eat, where you go to the safety, safety, safety. Um, sleeping. Um, and so, and homelessness is really is 
a lot of the research talks about it being just a chronic lack of sleep. When you're at shelter, you don't have any say in what your sleep schedule is. You, you are allowed to come in at a certain time. You have to leave at a certain time. There are certain rules and things that dictate how those and how those things work. And some of that is regulation, right? By the state and some of that, some of it is just how the, the shelters need to function to keep them clean and to keep them safe um, and to staff them, right? There's just a lot of, of ways that all of the different kind of functions of how things work kind of interplay with each other. And so there's really, a, you don't get a lot of say in what your life looks like. If you're dependent on meal sites, um, for your meals, you have to eat during the window that the meal sites are open, right? Correct. You have to make sure that you know the bus route that gets you from X, y, X, Y to Z, whatever. You have to figure out all, all of those things. And so you really have very little control of what your life looks like if you're really dependent on those different, of those different resources. Um, so, um, and just meeting your basic needs is likely taking up a lot of your, your brain energy. Space your yeah. energy. But then, no, but I mean, oh, and what we do know is right, right. Disproportionately chronic illnesses, throw in diabetes, throw in, you know, um, hypertension. Yeah. Yeah. Throw, throw in, um, you know, a lot of times once we get people inside and they've been outside for a long time, we find out they have chronic health conditions, like, you know, um, heart conditions, late stage cancers. I mean, like really, if you look at some of the things that like permanent supportive housing can mitigate a lot of things, but unfortunately, one of the things we can't mitigate is um, like undiagnosed medical stuff that has gone unchecked. Um, so, and- you know, in this, for the listening audience, um, I encourage you, if you have access to it, um, in the New York Times this weekend, the Sunday edition of the New York Times in their magazine section, they had a whole a whole um, article on, on, on homelessness and a physician in Boston that's made it his his kind of his his torch bearing aspects to to help and to your point Courtney I mean some of these oh you great yeah some of these some of these um basic needs that many of us take for granted how about dental health absolutely how about simply getting a haircut yeah okay these, these types of, of, of what we kind of take it for granted aspects. Yeah. Shoes that fit your feet. Um, shoes, exactly. Yeah, um, a sweater to keep you warm. Consistently warm socks. Like if your shoes are not that great and you're outside in the winter, your socks are probably soggy, right? Like things like that we yeah. maybe don't, we do, you know, don't necessarily think of like, you know, we've all had a leaky pair of boots um, in our life. Maybe, maybe you haven't, but I totally have. <laughs> um, and so, you know, the things that you do to make sure that you keep your feet warm, you know, like things like that are very common. Um, so I think, uh, yeah, that's, that's huge. All of those things are huge. Um, and, you know, I, again, I said it wasn't a cause, but there's definitely correlation with mental health and, and, and also chronic health conditions. Yes. Um, and, uh, what I will say is a lot of our folks too, a lot of the folks that I work alongside too, often have had experiences with commitments or um, other sorts of um, mental health, like mental health stays that are were against their will. Um, and so sometimes that prevents them from wanting to deal with physical health 
concerns because they're, they know that they have unchecked mental health or they have untreated um, or self-medicated um, with unregulated substances um, that right. they are or treating their mental about- health with. And so they're not necessarily going to go. Um, I can think of one client who had really, really bad, like lymphedema and like mm-hmm. open sores and wounds, um, but also has schizophrenia, you know, and like that is, and has had commitments um, and has had long stays against, against her will. Um, and so she, she didn't want to deal with her, her legs um, because she knew that there was risk for her to be hospitalized. Um, and so, you know, so, and that's, a, is, a, is pretty common is we see folks who, you know, are worried about the mental health system um, and losing. And again, um, I mentioned sort of some of the other systems, mental health, incarceration, a lot of folks who have experienced homelessness have had very little say over a lot of their lives. They've had people who've told them what their lives need to look like, probation, parole, um, commitments. Uh, a lot of there's disproportional uh, connection with child welfare systems. So I think a lot of things that like kind of have dictated how things need to look. So a lot of times kind of going way back to Clarence's point about um, kind of that uh, hobo mentality, sometimes that freedom is, is connected to, to like bigger systemic issues that they've experienced so little say, or they feel like they've had so little say in what their life looks like. So they're really wanting to be able to exercise freedom and choice over their own lives. And sometimes our yeah. health systems um, are so carceral in that same way um, and really make it hard for people to make choices for themselves. So let me bring up the, here, here's, this to me is really, really sad. Here's some more, some background. Most homeless adults, about 77% have had multiple experiences with homelessness and many adults have experienced repeated homelessness starting from an early age. More than half, about 52% of those surveyed, be, first became homeless by the time they were 24. Wow. And over one third, about 36%, first became homeless at or before the age of 18. You know, and so it's like, whoa. All right. So now I'm going to do a, a link here. I have a feeling because we, you know, we're, we want to try to focus on what we can do. I think we as people kind of react to um, immediacy of situations. So let's just talk about um, like Ukraine, you know, people that, you know, had to come here from Ukraine and, and, you know, the, the public kind of responds by saying, what can I do? How can I, can they, you know, some people can live with us or, you know, what have you. Well, that's an immediate situation that's literally up front and center where homelessness has been going on for a long time. We, it's kind of a take it for granted type of thing. How do you respond to that? Yeah, I do think there are moments where we see some like similar to the Ukraine situation, right? Like holidays. Um, yeah. When people are like, oh, people, I'm, I'm, you know, experiencing this great, you know, feeling of family and connection. And I feel sad for folks that aren't right. So that's one, but I also think winter and those extreme temperatures or summer in the extreme temperatures. Yeah. Um, yeah. Sometimes people are like, Oh yeah, there are people who live outside. Um, and so sometimes we see influxes and what can we do in those moments? 
Um, and there are, you know, some of those surfacey things that not surfacey things, they're very important to nonprofits that are doing this work, but, you know, like donations and those kinds of, um, you know, helping us, you know, get folks housed, all of those things, like, you know, basic needs donations for folks who sleep outside, you know, sleeping bags, et cetera. All of those things are, are super important in the short term, you know, to nonprofits like Avivo and others, um, shelter, you know, folks like that. We need resources to keep running and keep doing what we do. Um, to me, it is a lot more, it is both uh, us having conversations about stigma and shame and misconceptions um, that, you know, homelessness in and of itself is really is about disconnection and how do we reconnect? How do we really see yeah. fully who people are and see humanity? Um, yeah. And I think a lot of times we, we don't want to look, right? Like someone standing on the side of the road and we're, we're uncomfortable, we're uncomfortable sitting in our car with the heat on, right? Like I'm in this field. I might even know the person with the sign. And sometimes I'm still uncomfortable. Um, and so I think it's, it's, we, we want to like put blinders up. And so I think some of that is we need to, to start learning ourselves and, and really looking at our own biases and, and some of that kind of stuff. Yeah. I also think things like Medicare, Medicare for all is a huge thing making sure that people have good access to, um, um, rent, uh, Aaron hit on rent stuff. I think, um, conversations about rent control and also renter protections. Um, Hennepin has, um, had created, or actually the city of Minneapolis passed, um, rental criteria, um, that has really significantly helped, I would say, um, where like landlords can't look back longer than 10 years. That kind of stuff is really huge um, for folks who maybe have had some significant criminal past, um, but are being barred from housing because of resources. So advocacy for things that are, those are like simple protections. They're not necessarily only going to protect people who are homeless. They're also going to protect a lot of people in our society. Um, and then I would say just increasing advocacy for affordable housing. Yeah. Um, and that again, isn't just going to target folks that are homeless, but it also is hopefully going to target um, other folks who are, are completely rent burdened and struggling. Um, and that's well, also hopefully going to prevent more people from falling into homelessness. So, so one thing that, um, that we try to do on, on health chatter is, you know, what can we do? But um, I think it's pretty clear what we can do is um, we can provide a voice, okay, um, a communication voice that if there are issues that come up with this theme, under this theme, that you'd really like to be able to get it out there, Health Chatter is, is, is there for you. Um, the other thing I want to do for our listening audience is um, kind of the mission behind um, Avivo. And maybe you could just relate that and then we can wrap up here. Sure. Yeah. So um, Avivo uh, is here to do, we do chemical, mental health, employment, um, kind of in a really, we try to do it as much as we can in an integrated way. Um, I'm a part of the Ending Homelessness Division. Um, in the three and a half years that I have worked at Avivo, our Ending Homelessness Division has exploded um, because there's just so much need. And so we're constantly adding and 
um, trying to find new and innovative ways to meet people where they're at um, and really try to use housing first and harm reduction um, to get people uh, their basic needs met and really try to be person-centered and person-driven and really see each individual um, and try to figure out how to, to do what we do. Um, we're really lucky that Avivo also has chemical and mental health services. So mm -hmm. we have treatment, we have um, therapists, um, we have, um, you know, groups and things that folks can get connected to uh, and employment services. And those are open, not just to internal Avivo clients, but they're open to the community, um, doing a lot of really great things, trying to get um, people to be able to live lives that they're excited about, um, right. uh, things that feel uh, like um, yeah, life's your life you want to live. And I think, um, really wanting to show up for our community. Um, and right. so I think that's kind of the heart of who we, of who we are. So, you know what we're going to do? We want to make sure that we have, um, your website available yep. on our website. Okay. Yep. And so, um, we'll get that in, um, awesome. in there. Um, I want to thank you really for, first of all, doing the work that you're you're doing for for many of us it's kind of i guess maybe invisible um the work that goes on behind the scenes in order to help these people so thank you very very much and we want to make sure that you know that you can come on this show anytime you just give us the heads up and say stan clarence we have something to say and you let, it, you let well, us know i clarence. so much for you guys letting me come Clarence, thoughts? Thank you. Yeah, well, thank you, Courtney. I, the, you have really expanded my <laughs> understanding of the issue. And I know that this is something that I have to be more personally involved in, uh, in our work. So hopefully we'll be able to reach out to you and to talk to you. And how do we engage more community uh, efforts into your work? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. You know, for our listening audience, um, by the way, if, if any, we've got great shows coming up. If any of you have ideas from our listening audience that uh, you would like to uh, hear about, just put them in our, our website, in our chat area there, and we'll try to get shows going on it. In the meantime, for everybody, keep health chatting away. Hi, everyone. It's Matthew from Behind the Scenes. And I wanted to let everyone know that we have a new website up and running helpchatterpodcast.com. You can go on there. You can interact with us. You can communicate with us. Send us a message. You can comment on each episode. You can rate us. Uh, and it's just another way for everyone to communicate with uh, Stan and Clarence and all of us at the Help Chatter team. So definitely check it out. Again, that's helpchatterpodcast.com.